Do you like to learn about random wild stuff? You know, the things you didn't think you needed to know about, then realize you should? Then welcome to Nothing Off Limits, the podcast that gives you one place to go for something different. Impress your next party guest with your unusual body of knowledge. And if you dig the show, get more information at ladyfoxentertainment.com and subscribe, rate, or review. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Nothing Off Limits. I am so excited because I have the wonderful Dr. Leslie Beth Wish back for a second appearance on the show. She is an award-winning licensed clinical psychotherapist and author, nationally honored for her pioneering research about women, love, trauma, and career. The National National Association of Social Workers has placed her on their list of the top 50 who have contributed to the profession. She is also quoted widely in national magazines such as Shape and Self and websites such as Bustle.com. She also appears regularly on This Week in America and is a feature writer for DigitalRomanceInc.com and PersonalGrowth.com. You can go to her website, LoveVictory.com, for more information. Also, it's been named one of the top 101 websites to watch. And I'm excited because we're going to talk all about using intuition in love and work today. Welcome back, Dr. Wish. Thank you so much for having me back. And I'm so glad you like this topic because so many of our decisions are made with what we think is wise intuition. It is going to be the most important tool that you are going to have to make decisions. Think of all the important decisions you have to make. What job am I going to take? What job am I going to quit? Who am I going to date? Who am I going to break up with? Who might I get engaged to? And all those kinds of decisions. And unfortunately, almost all major decisions in life are made with incomplete information. Because think about it. You certainly don't know everything about your partner. You can't predict all the things you're going to go through. You don't know what's going to happen to the company or the organization that you are working for. So how can you possibly know every single you know, fork in the road and every single stumbling block? So what aids you the most in making wise decisions is trusting your intuitive judgment. So let's dive into that a little deeper, because there might be people out there listening who are like, what do you mean intuition? Like, what are you talking about, people? (laughs) So what is your definition? What is intuition? Well, I don't have a unique definition of intuition, but if I put together what I have learned, because when something bothers me or I find that it's important, I think I've mentioned this before. I do research. I want answers that make the most sense to me. So here is a working definition of intuition. Intuition is the activation of your, well, I should, let me go back, accurate intuition, because we're going to get into accurate and inaccurate intuition, but accurate intuition is the combination of your ability to know yourself, to know what your usual functional and dysfunctional patterns are in making decisions, combining all that knowledge with your ability to sense when your intuition is kicking in and then to use it. Mm-hmm. So we all have this then. Well, I tell people all the time, the answer is in you. But what happens is there are things that get in the way of your either receiving the intuitive signal or believing it. 
I want to get into that because I think that's a big thing, especially when I'm on the phone with my my gal friends and we're talking about the guys we're dating and all of that kind of stuff. It's like we don't know a lot of times whether or not it's truly our intuition telling us that we're experiencing a red flag or it's something we should keep an eye on or if it's just our own internal fears. So help us all understand how to make that distinction. How do we know if our intuition is really real or not? Well, let's think of the fairy tale, Little Red Riding Hood. Imagine that you are Little Red Riding Hood, and your red hood is your potential accurate intuition. And you are going through the woods, and you encounter um, a woodsman, and, well, Little Red Riding Hood is friendly to the woodsman, where... In fact, she should have a little bit of question mark in her head. You know, who is this person traipsing through the woods? He's got an axe. Is that for me or the trees? <laughs> but, but okay, I mean, these are the kinds of ways that people go through life. Mm-hmm. They often don't have that question mark in their head because of all kinds of reasons. They don't recognize that there's a question mark in their head or they have blocked it because their intuitive signals have been quieted by what their own fears are or their own lack of understanding themselves. So now Little Red Riding Hood is going through the woods and she begins to have a sense of activating her intuition because when she gets to Grandma's house, she does notice that Grandma's eyes are a little bit bigger than usual, that, hmm, she's got some fuzzy things around her face and and she's got an awfully big smile and sharp teeth. But Little Red Riding Hood doesn't thoroughly act on that. She has to end up being saved by this woodsman. And you don't want that to happen to yourself. So the important thing here is to find out what gets in the way of my trusting accurate intuition. Now, what are some examples of things that get in the way? So let's use an example, sort of a composite example from the women who I counseled and who were in my research. So anyone listening, it's not about you. I've put together all kinds of things, so I don't think you'll recognize yourself. So let's pretend that you had a really bad relationship with a man who you thought was the nicest, sweetest, oh, just loving, tender, understanding man. And as you dated him, you couldn't understand why things went so wrong. After a while, you began to feel that you were his bank, lending him too much money, his excuse maker for why he couldn't find a better job. And then pretty soon, something happened in your life that caused you no longer to feel so much in charge of yourself and you wanted some emotional support and maybe some actions from your partner, such as imagine if you lost your job or your house blew away or you got very ill or your child did or your parent and suddenly you discovered where that question mark about your new partner was coming from. Your new partner, you learned, could only be sweet and supportive, could only be the second person in line, could not be your wingman, because when the going got tough, he became clueless. <laughs> and I'm laughing because that's been a marker for me over the years, is like I can always tell what kind of a man a man is based on what happens when I get sick or if something bad happens to me. How does he react? Is he there for me or does he run? <laughs> 
or, or become all thumbs and sort of clueless and just sits there and holds your hand and bobs his head and say, I love you, honey. I love you, honey. And you say to yourself, well, that's great, but I need more than that right <laughs> yeah, now. Exactly. You know, I need you to help me with whatever, you know, make a decision or call someone or call my mom or, or go to the doctor with me or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. So what happens then? Well, here are the things that happen after the woman realizes that she needs to end this relationship. So she ends it, and usually what happens is that she takes too long of a break from love. And that is a very big mistake. Yes, it's important to take a break, and yes, it's very important for you to do some soul-searching like what happened here, but Your success in understanding what happened to you is not solely dependent on time, but your degree of self-knowledge and your ability to trust that you will recognize a good partner Mm -hmm. the next time. So using your intuition can be challenging and can be scary because if it's correct and it's on point, it may prevent a lot of people from wanting to get involved again because they'll, they'll think, woo, I'm just going to get hurt by everyone. Yes, and that's the biggest fear. I'm done with men. I'm down on love. I'm down with all that stuff. I've got girlfriends, guy friends, family, and who needs love? (laughs) And that's what happens. And that's a very bad mindset. I want to make it clear that you don't have to be in an intimate relationship in order to be mentally healthy or happy. However, the mark of your degree of bravery and self-knowledge will show you in the form of saying to yourself, Okay, I can't find anyone who I like right now, but I am open to it. But so many people, after they're hurt and surprised and feel that the rug's been pulled out from under them, they say to themselves, I'm off love. I'm not looking. I'm not available. And gee, they say to themselves, if it's meant to be, it'll just happen. Mm. It should be easy. Yes, easy. It'll just happen. I'll know it. And those are fake lies. Those are really, really bad things to tell yourself. Because number one, the universe is not going to tilt towards you and produce the perfect person, you know, suddenly. (laughs) And secondly, unless you are really good at accessing correct intuition and following it, you will make possibly a high probability that you will make another love mistake. So let's follow the story of this woman who dumped the guy who couldn't step up to the plate. The typical reaction is to overcorrect. So forget intuition. They've suddenly realized they've made a, a decision. No more real nice guys. And that's not the right decision. The right decision is how can I fine tune my intuitive judgment so I can see when the problems are coming and read this person accurately. Right. Now that's that's a big thing. And I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I'm just like bubbling with all kinds of remembrances of mistakes I've made, which is when I'm in a bad relationship, when that ends, whatever happened during that relationship, then I'm suddenly hypersensitive to whatever the next partner does. And I see almost everything as a red flag. Right. Because now you think that having ability to see red flags is about all you need to do. But the question is, 
what are those red flags? So now let's say that you start dating another guy who also is very nice and agreeable and isn't anxious, isn't controlling, and you say to yourself, oh, this guy seems just like my other one. I'm getting rid of him. And oops, this guy ended up being kind of good for you. But you didn't know that because you based your assessments on the previous relationship and your fears instead of fine-tuning your intuition. So how do you do it? Because if a red flag pops up, let's say there's some sort of reaction that your new dating partner has to whatever. It could be something as simple as when you're out to eat, um, he or she gets a little uptight with the waiter or the waitress. And that's a red flag too, because you like to see people treat others with respect. So you automatically kind of jump at that. Is that your own fear of maybe being with a guy who's not the nice guy again, or the not the nice girl again? Or is that truly intuitive judgment? Those are good questions. Um, Let me just put those on hold for about 30 more seconds. Let me finish the story of overcorrecting. So what happened, what happens is so I don't want to lose the thread there. What happens after you misread a guy's niceness as your previous problem, by overcorrecting, you end up choosing guys who you think are movers and shakers, successful, um, take charge people. And once again, there is nothing wrong with people like that. But what often happens is that these take charge partners end up wanting to take charge of you. Mm. And so now you're really stuck. You don't want a nice guy. You don't want a meek guy, but you don't want a mean guy. So, oh my gosh. So now we enter your question. What do you do? How do you know? So the first thing you have to do is observe your own reactions. You can't read someone else unless you can read you. Mm-hmm. So let's use that good example that he gets testy with the wait staff or even seductive. I've been out on mm. dates where they um, touch the wait staff, you know, take her arm, call her honey, look up at her, yes. smile too much at her. So it can be from flirtatious to, uh, you know, snippy and abrupt. Mm-hmm. And yes, those are good things to look for. But Also paired with that observation is your awareness of what your body is telling you. So the first thing that I do in my workshops on intuition is ask all the participants to remember the ways that they received their intuitive signal. Some people get it in their tummy flip-flopping. Some people get it Um, by being uh, nervous and shaky. Some feel it in their head. There's so many different ways of receiving your intuition. So I don't like to call it just gut instinct because not everyone feels it in their gut. So know you. Yeah, and I think that that's a great point because, and that's something I wanted to ask you about. You know, they, they like to say, use your gut use your gut. And and I've actually given that advice to friends of mine. Well, what is your gut telling you? This is very interesting that not everybody knows how to use their gut. And your gut instincts may not be the way you receive your intuitive signals. Mm-hmm. I can use myself as an example. This might seem a little woo-woo-woo, but this is the truth of what my intuition works like. I don't get gut reactions. I get something that happens outside my body. It's as though someone from outside my body is poking their finger right at my collarbone, 
right in the middle and going, hello, poke, 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 hello, hmm. something's going to happen. And that's how I get my intuition. I don't get it through the mind-gut reaction, right. which is the most common. Because think of how your brain and your early organs develop so early. Your hunger sing- signals, that sense that something is going on in the connection between your hormones and your nervous system. And you know that it takes less than one second to arouse your brain to input to signal something in your body that tells you you are observing something. Mm. And for most people, it's a direct line to their gut. But not everyone. Some people have a thought or they hear something. So know your signals. I mean, just as an aside, there's been a lot of talk about the gut being our second brain. And I'd like to kind of continue that and say, you know, if your gut is saying one thing, right, but your brain or your heart is telling you another, maybe you make an excuse for someone. And you're like, oh, but I just I really love this person, even though that felt wrong. How can you trust your intuition? That's step number two, okay? So, um, good questions. Step number one is know your reactions. And you might have more than one. Secondly, how do you know? You know, are you receiving? Are you reading this person right? Um, Are you being picky if you notice that he's a little assertive? Um, You know, like, how do you know? So, that's the hardest part. This is where you have to go back and look at all of your key romantic relationships. Or, since we're also talking about work, look at your past jobs and how you acted in relation to your colleagues and to your supervisors. Very, very important. And write things down or speak them into a a recorder, whichever way works best for you. And if those two don't work so well, get a good friend, someone you really trust, and have them listen to your story and possibly record it or take notes. Any way that works for you. So what I want your listeners to do is go back and think about when you misread someone. Who did you misread and what did you misread? Did you not catch that they were jerks? Did you not catch that they were liars and cheaters? Did you not catch that they had an abusive streak? What did you miss? So I want you to write a missing column, you know, all the things that you misread and see if it makes a pattern. Usually it does. Mm -hmm. So that's where you start. You know, I have always been a believer that the thing that you are most annoyed by in someone else when you first meet them or when you've been working with them for a while is the thing that you're denying within yourself. And I've always kind of taken note of that. And I'm like, wow, this person's really getting on my nerves. What is it inside me that I'm denying? Or what am I choosing to not embrace? And so that for me is misreading others because it's kind of like I'm making a a judgment about something I don't like. Yes. And you're pre-assessing it and uh, pre-concluding something. Yes. So, yes, it could be that you are, um, these are the usual patterns that happen when you notice, let's use your example, that a date is not being so kindly to the wait staff, okay? Let's say that you notice that and hear the following reactions. This guy's off my list, forget him. Or, I like someone like that. I like how they're assertive. Or, 
hmm, this guy, this behavior bothers me, but I don't know what to do about it or how to assess it. And maybe I should give him a, a couple more chances. Maybe it's a bad day. And, and right. those are all things. But your issue of denying yourself something goes along with the most important part of looking at not just your relationship patterns with your previous partners, but looking at your relationship in your family of origin, because that's where the culprit lurks. So you're going deep back into your roots of the environment that you grew up in, looking at the way that you had relationships with your siblings, parents, cousins, all of that kind of stuff, and seeing how you related to them, which then filters forward into your love relationships as an adult. Yes, because it shapes who you are. Let's put this into a, a more concrete example. Again, this is a composite. So we'll call her Susan. And Susan comes from a family where she is the oldest of lots of siblings, brothers, sisters. And she has two parents who are sort of ne'er-do-well. They're not very successful. They they work in jobs that don't have a lot of places for advancement. And they're not poor, but, you know, they have to watch their pennies. And being the oldest, she had lots of responsibility for all the other kids and kind of became a, a second mommy. And she takes herself all the way through college on scholarship and a master's degree. And she now works in hotel management and hospitality and is rising in the ranks. And she starts dating guys who, true to what her birth profile is and to what her parents always told her, oh, Susan, you're the reliable one. You, you're, you're just, I'm so glad you're a blessing. What would we do without you? And I hope now that you have an education that you're not going to think you're too good to come home. So, and every so often, Susan would get a phone call from her mom. Can't you come home for the weekend, dear? It's not that far. And Susan says, Mom, we've got a big convention at the hotel, and I've got to do that. And the mother says, there's just, boy, you're only an hour and a half away, and you can't come home? Guilt tripper. (laughs) Yes. And so Susan has all that in her head, how great it is that she's responsible and reliable, but you know, you've gone astray. You've gone a little too far from home, girl. So now she meets a guy who doesn't need to be rescued, doesn't need to be taken care of. He needs to be loved like most of us do, but he's more like a co-equal. And instead of realizing that this is a good match for you, because Susan's boyfriends have always been guys she's had to kind of take care of mm. and, and, and bail out of jail or finance their next project and not have it result in anything. So this guy doesn't need that part of her. And now, instead of seeing him as a good match, she feels anxious. Because this guy is taking her out of the birth order role of being caretaker to the world and is taking her out of feeling that she can't surpass her parents. Wow. There's a comfort zone in repeating the pattern of the relationship that you had with your family. Yes. And all the things that they said to you, all the things that they were critical to you about, combine that with 
your um, functional birth order. Not all oldests, for example, are take charge, take care of siblings. Sometimes the oldest, I'm thinking of um, people in my family where the oldest was not the most responsible. So it's your functional birth order. What role did you play in your family? Were you the maverick? Were you the caretaker? Were you the one who everybody dumped on? Pay attention to that. Mm. So these, as you said, these are comfortable discomforting zones and and that's when your intuition gets murky so you have to be able to say is my intuition telling me that i am once again in an unhealthy comfort zone or is my intuition telling me that this is good for me so susan rejected this guy at first because it made her anxious now flash forward through a couple more wrong-headed relationships she gets promoted and transferred to another hotel in a different city and she runs into this guy and Now she's pretty enlightened. She's learned a lot about her patterns, what gets in her way, what she's carrying with her in her emotional backpack of her assumptions of who she is and what she should do in her family of origin or should be or not be. And now she finally connects with this man again. And she said for the first two months, she went to bed shaking, filled with anxiety. Oh my God, I I, I feel so uncomfortable. But she also had the message that she could say to herself, you're allowed to surpass and leave your family. If you're anxious with somebody, does that mean that they're the one, you know? Or if you're super comfortable with someone and there seems to be a lot of chemistry and you just have this like really quick connection and it's it feels so good, does that mean it's wrong? Either of any of those scenarios. And I love that you use the word chemistry. I hate the whole concept of going on a date and afterwards you come home and you call your best girlfriend and your girlfriend says, well, how did it go with Fred? And you said, ah, there was no chemistry. You know, forget that concept. It is so important that you use second and possibly third dates to test whether your assessments are accurate. So let's change the goal of dating from finding the one to testing your intuitive judgment. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? How do you train your intuition? Well, you go out on a date. Let's say that you had a good time, but you didn't really have a you didn't have a great feeling one way or the other. Or you weren't attracted to the person. Yes, you weren't attracted. He he didn't look like what you thought you liked. All those kinds of mm-hmm. things. Or maybe his job wasn't appealing to you, or where he wasn't as you know. You're just not sure. Mm-hmm. So I want you to go home and I want you to write down again what your old patterns are what you usually are attracted to. Try to get a hold of that. Try to understand and see those patterns. Then I want you to keep your your chart. I mean, I like these things permanently. A chart, you only have to do it once, what your patterns are. Your other chart is your comfort and discomfort zones from what you learned about your family. And then I want you to look at this guy. Go back over what happened on the date. How did you feel on the date? Did your stomach flip-flop? Were you anxious? Did you go blank? Did you go turn off? Write all of those pseudo or possibly real intuitive reactions. Pay attention to your reactions. And if you aren't sure of them while you're on the date, excuse yourself, 
go into the restroom, tell your date you've got to put eye drops in your eyes or something, and I want you to start from your toes on up or your head on down. Where am I feeling something? What am I thinking? What should I be asking myself? Very important. So now you're going home. This first date is over. You've got your two charts of your patterns of love and your family patterns. And you're saying to yourself, hmm, I had question marks about this guy because he wasn't real handsome. And in my family, they emphasize looks. So, hmm, I can kind of quiet the volume on that concern because that might not really be something I should pay attention to. Or this guy was awfully quiet and, you know, when his food came cold, he didn't return it. And maybe that's not such a good idea. Maybe he's too passive. Maybe that's something that I used to like in a guy, but now I don't. So keep those questions in your head. Mm -hmm. And as you go through the date, kind of reproducing how you felt, what you learned about yourself when you went into that restroom and kind of did that body scan of your reactions... I want you to make some pre-assessments. I predict this guy is, you know, fill in the blank. And here's the important part. Make your next date resemble real life as much as possible. Don't go to a movie and dinner. You know, I want you to do something like hang out at one of your community's local free events, you know, whatever it is, or go for a walk or run errands together for a while before you sit down for lunch. Pay attention to what this guy does. Does he get antsy? Do you get the sense that you've taken too long in Walgreens? Does he get the sense that you're too picky? You know, observe things that you do because most of us in long-term, mutually loving relationships realize that much of your life is spent doing very ordinary things. Mm-hmm. I love this idea of just doing regular errands together. Most people don't do that. They try to plan something special, like we're going to go out to dinner, we're going right. to have a night of this or that. And so I think just doing the regular things is such a great way to see, like, are you truly compatible? Can you, can you get along? <laughs> yes. Or are you going to get on each other's nerves all the time? Think about going to, let's say, um, a craft fair, all right? Um, and that's what you, you're walking through town or the countryside or the property, wherever it is. And does the guy cling to you? Does he get angry when you say, I want to go look at something in this booth. I'll catch up with you. Does he cool his heels? Does he say, no, no, I, I want to go with you. Does he, you know, begin to step away from you and you can see he's getting kind of antsy? You know, does he criticize you? Are you done? Watch that behavior because you're going to be doing these kind of ordinary things with your partner. Pay attention. And remember, you've made some predictions as to how he will react. So then it comes time for, let's say, lunch or dinner. Is he decisive? Is he cooperative? Do you share ideas? You know, one of the rules that my husband and I have whenever we're thinking of where to go for dinner is a person starts by saying, let's go get Thai food. And let's say the other person says, you know, I'm not in the mood. 
the person who nixes the idea has to come up with another idea. Mm -hmm. And so that's a good plan when you're on your date. Look, if you don't want to walk around these things, tell me what you'd rather do and we'll connect later. You tell me. Put some of the responsibility in that person's lap. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're protecting him. And that's something that women tend to do in general. We're very protective of making the guy uncomfortable. So... Put those issues right out there. Don't do things like act on your best behavior. Be you. And if you have quirks, such as you're indecisive, do you want the blue necklace or the red necklace? What do you think? And he rolls his eyes. Show him that you are indecisive. Say, I have trouble making decisions. Help me. Don't put your best foot forward. Put one of your squeaky foot better, <laughs> a, a not so great foot forward, so that you can be real. And so that it gives him an opportunity to step into your realness and show you whether or not he's going to actually step up and and take that, that role on and allow this kind of ping pong effect in the relationship and have it go back and forth because it takes two to make a relationship really work, right? Absolutely. You know... Whatever it is, you know that famous scene from the movie when Harry met Sally, when she orders things on the side and the bread sliced like this and whatever it was and all these particular things that she gives the waitstaff to make her sandwich perfect? Well, if that's you and you do that, then do that on your date. Be you. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're not going to get a sense of who he is and how he handles you being you. Right. I want to go back to patterns for a second because I've been yes. thinking about what you said. Is the idea then, as you get more in tune with yourself and make that list of the relationships that you had with your family, is the idea to go against those patterns then in looking for your partner? Only if they're unhealthy. In the example that I gave you of Susan, where the messages she got from her family were the equivalent of, so who do you think you are, college girl, with your big pain job? Don't you know we all put our pants on one leg at a time? So those were the messages that she got. And she feeling guilty and disloyal to her family and on a much deeper level wondering if she does become more successful and chooses a partner who is equally or more successful will her parents abandon her wow okay. i would yeah i mean that's it goes so much deeper than most people would go you know most people don't think about things at this level but if you don't, then you will never be able to trust your intuitive judgment because you won't know if you're acting out of comfort or discomfort of maintaining family loyalty. Right. And don't we all tend to come up with excuses or ways of framing a situation to have an excuse for it, to explain it away? Yes, absolutely. I, I had a family member come to me and say... I, I, I love the guy I'm living with. He's so sweet and he wants to be a musician and, you know, it's been hard and he gets gigs, but it's not exactly where he wants to go and I can't abandon him. You know, I, I feel so disloyal and, but I'm beginning to move ahead in my career and he's like really far behind me and how can I be mean? So I asked her about her family background and she said that she was raised um, in lots of different countries because her parents were missionaries. And she was told, we're all God's children, and who are you to judge someone? Mm. So she couldn't 
she couldn't free herself from saying to herself, this man is a good man, but maybe not the right man for me. Wow. So she stayed with him. She stayed several years with him until it finally dawned on her that X amount of years was long enough for him to get his act together. And just by, I mean, the way the universe can work sometimes, one of her old um, high school friends contacted her, and they had always liked each other, but they never dated. And he was very successful, and they met for lunch, and she said literally she felt a light bulb go off in her brain and said to herself, this is the kind of person I should be with. It's tough because from that example, she is doing something that's very nice and sweet and try not to be a judgmental person like, oh, he doesn't have his, his stuff together, so I'm not going to be with that guy and instead made the effort. And so that could be looked at from the perspective of like, she's just like a good woman. Yes, but how long are you going to do that? How many years are you going to log in excusing your partner? You see, that's what she was doing. She was over-accepting. Right. So keep that in mind. Am I over-tolerating, over-accepting? Am I making excuses? Mm-hmm. To not be over-tolerating, because this, this is a common theme with, a, with me and with a lot of my friends, is that we see things going on with our partners. What if we give it a chance just to see if they'll correct it? Like we put our, our foot down and we place our boundary and we say, you know, I'm not cool with that. I'm not cool with that thing that you do, that, that behavior that you have. And then we wait and watch. Is that being over-tolerating? No, that's as long as you're putting some boundaries on that in terms of time or watching change in the behavior, that's very important to do. And that's how you fine tune your intuition. You know, you can write in your journal. That's why I think it's so important when you're building intuitive trust to keep a journal. I am working with Tim to see if he can get self-confidence enough to apply for a new job and get out of the one that's making him so unhappy. Mm-hmm. So watch that. And how long do you you want to give it right you know there's no law here but i think um somewhere between months and a year is kind of a good gauge and some of that will depend on your age are you under the gun do you want to give a whole year again to mm, someone that's okay. a big one that's a very big one very important and so that's also i mean that could work against you too where you're like immediately cutting someone off after a month or two months if they're not meeting all of your expectations because you're on this time frame where you're like ah, i don't have much time left i want to get married remember when products used to come with a 90-day guarantee and you could return it in three months <laughs> yeah three months isn't so bad you know but sometimes there are huge red flags i mean let's think of big red flags Okay, here are some big ones that, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe with lots of question marks, you want to give a second chance. But these are big red flags. Does the guy criticize you? You know, why are you always fill in the blank? Okay, or how come you can't or why don't you? You know, you want to watch that kind of emotional sentence structure. That's a big red flag. Someone shouldn't be talking to you that way. Another one. When you are out in public with another partner or, I mean, another family or member or, or, you know, another couple, I mean, and your partner says in front of everyone, oh, 
Linda over here, on one of these days she's going to learn to cook a meal and not burn it, you know. Or this one, if she ever is on time on, a, on when we want to leave the house, watch out. Because if he's going to be criticizing you in public, there's going to be a lot more criticism to come in private. Wow. Okay. That is a big red flag. Big red flag. Other red flags. Your partner isn't there to listen to you and says to you, you want to talk again about your mom? You know, I'm getting kind of tired of this. Or you've asked me several times now how to do this. Don't you get it yet? You know, what, did you write it down? That's what you want to mm-hmm. look for. I've had that happen, actually. I've had all of those happen, but but that one um, <laughs> recently. And I actually called the person out on it and said, you know what? There's a difference between men and women. Men can say things one time to each other, and the other man could be like, okay, got it, man. Cool. We're good now. But like women need to hear things multiple times. Women just need that. And so I I underscored that and I keep reminding this person that, yes, sometimes you need to hear things multiple times. And so you got to be willing to do that. Yes. And it's very important to communicate that to your partner. Hey, honey, I don't want to go through the day without hugging and kissing once. I can't handle that. Or I can't go through the day without one text, high happy face or something, whatever it is. You know, do I need 10 a day? No, that's a little excessive, but you know, one. And those are things to look for. And that goes back to what I mentioned about going on undates and being you. Mm-hmm. You know, put your one of your bad feet forward a little bit. Other red flags are you go to bed at night filled with doubt. Ooh. Yes. And and you begin to make excuses to your friends. You know, Bob is really a nice guy. He really is. You know, watch that. Who who are you trying to convince? On the other side of that, though, be very careful about the feedback your friends give you because you need to know where your friends are coming from. Do you have covetous, jealous friends? And they say to you, I don't think he's for you. And he ends up being good for you, but your friends secretly aren't rooting Mm, for you. mm -hmm. So be very careful about that, too. Yeah. And also, where's the doubt coming from? Maybe it's one of your own patterns, and maybe the guy really is good. Correct. And that's why... Doing your deep homework is critical. If you do not do that, if you do not address your family of origin issues and what you absorbed about what your parents said to you, how they treated you, what the family rules are, you know, like don't leave home without us, you're not going to be able to know whether your intuitive reactions are accurate or just same old, same old. Mm-hmm. Real quick, I want to flip the conversation to the career or work environment. Yes. How do you advance at work with your boss or successfully work with your colleagues and use your intuition in that realm? Okay, these are some guidelines. And and again, there's no guarantee if you do this, you'll, you know, soar to the top but or change to another job. But here's some things. Regarding colleagues, be friendly to all but friend to none. Keep a little bit of distance. You never know who's going to be your supervisor. You <laughs> never know. You never. You don't want to go in there and telling your life story, your life story about where your husband just slept you across the face and took your money. You, you know, keep that private. Put a boundary. There are other ways you can create enough intimacy without having to reveal your whole story. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, you do not owe strangers 
the truth about you. You don't owe that to anybody. Put a boundary there. Yeah, and that that also filters over. And you can tell me how you feel about this to social media. There are certain people that I've worked with over the years, and I have specifically chosen not to connect with them on Facebook or Instagram's fine, but for some reason Facebook feels a little more family to me and a little more vulnerable, I guess, in some ways. And so I prefer not to let them see that personal side of me. Absolutely. You choose what you want people to know. It's called impression management. You are in charge of you. I remember when after my husband and I got married and people began to ask me, are you going to have children how, or how many children do you have? Well, you know, that that's a very personal question. I could not have children. So I kept saying to myself, do, do I say that? Do I, I mean, where, where do I go with this? Yeah. You know, they don't even know me and they're asking me, you're going to have children? And finally, I, I, in the past, I was protecting them by saying, well, we just got married and, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of, you know, kind of getting into being honeymooners. And finally, one day I said to someone, I cannot have children. And they finally backed up and said, oh, oh, I'm sorry. And I hope that they got the message that mm. you don't ask personal questions like that unless you're prepared for the answer. Right. Or, I mean, just to be super straight up and be like, you know what? We don't want children. We're worried. We decided we're not going to have children. And, that, and we're okay with that. Whatever. <laughs> you know? and yeah. you, but the point is, you don't have to answer an invasive question. Right. That's now, tough, though, in some environments, Dr. Wish, because I think a lot of cultures nowadays, a lot of companies, especially, you know, I'm thinking more like ad agencies or like creative-oriented companies, the culture is such that people live and work there. They have full kitchens, they have catering that comes in. People are spending a lot more time there than they would even with their loved ones or their families. And so their work becomes their family. And so how do you navigate that in, in that kind of a context? Well, you've got to be very careful. You have to have some kind of balance between work and, and private life. But what you don't want to do in those situations is be a blabbermouth about your personal life. Who's on the, who's calling you? Oh, it's just my husband. You know, he's, he can't even boil water. You know, you don't want to say things like that. Protect yourself, protect your impression management because it could come back to bite you. Let's say that you're up for a promotion and this person who knows that you've got a deadbeat husband now says to the um, staff that is thinking of promoting you, you know, I, I I just don't think Michelle has time to devote to this job. She is really propping up her husband. Oof. You don't you don't want that. Right. You're in charge of you. Yeah. It's tough though when people start inviting you to events and they bring their spouses or their their boyfriends or girlfriends and then they want to get to know the personal side of you. How much can you show and how much should you keep a boundary around? You know, and that's that's where I think it becomes difficult for a lot of people. For big events at work where there's lots of people, you can certainly, if you want, bring your partner. And you always have the ability to say, my partner can't come. He's got a meeting, whatever. You know, you are in charge of striking that balance. You know, and on your desk, keep pictures of whatever you want to keep, whatever you want people to know about you. The, you don't want to have no pictures on your desk. That's another red flag. Mm. So, so now let's go back to what about your boss? Here are your the things you should do at your job to make them your job. Do your work well. Know what you're doing. Be responsible. Be thorough. That's obvious. But the other job you have at your job is know your company. Learn from others higher up than you. Read the, you know, the bulletin that's put out. What 
What's coming down the pike? What projects are being worked on? Ask your supervisor, what are some of the next steps that are going on in this company that you can tell me about? What are you looking, what do you need? Learn what your company needs and where it's going. Because um, I can just tell one quick personal story. When I first got hired by this um, very job that I want, a very important job I wanted in the Boston area. After about two months, I made an appointment with the executive director. And I said, I've got the lay of the land here now. And I know how I can increase our revenues. So that's what you want to keep your eyes out for. I know this charity that we should get with. I know how so-and-so should be brought on this project. I know what I can bring to this project. That's how you get advancements. That's how you get noticed. Mm-hmm. And so if someone is coming at you and you feel like maybe they're trying to pry a little too much, you know, maybe there's a competitive colleague yes, or there's somebody who's, you know, trying to scratch their way to the top and they want to take you down. <laughs> yes. So use your intuition there too, right? Absolutely. Step back, go to the bathroom. I love going to the restroom. Then you can have private time and you can say to yourself, do I trust this person? What, where am I feeling the, the question mark? Am I feeling it in my gut? Is it a thought? If I close my eyes, what animal is this person? There are all kinds of ways of accessing your intuitive judgment. I love using the idea of animals, particularly dogs, because they come in so many different varieties. Mm. So, or breeds, I guess that's the right word. Um, what animal, what dog does this person remind me of? Oh, this person is a gigantic wolfhound. I, I, I'm kind of scared here. <laughs> or this person is um, one of those, you know, frisky little beagles that maybe could get the job done but isn't going to follow through. Or this person is one of those dogs that just lies around the house all the time and wants to connect to me and have me make them look good. So whatever you can do, get in touch with all those little reactions and question marks that are going on and say to yourself, do I trust this person? Does this person have my best interests at heart? And is this a person I should be connected with and known to be connected yes. with at work? Yes. Or are my feelings about this person because of past hurts or patterns that I've had and maybe I'm overreacting? Yes, good. You see, that's where your patterns come in. No, What do I usually do at work? What are my previous work patterns? Do I go along to get along? Am I the rebel? Am I the support team? Am I a leader? What has been my patterns and what has been the result of having that pattern? You want to look at all of that. Your past is going to be one of the better predictors of what your things are that get in your way. So awesome. I hope this has everybody out there really thinking about their past family relationships, dynamics, patterns, and how it's reflecting in their current either love partner relationship or at work. It's so powerful. I love this idea around really honing our intuition. And here's a, a question that your listeners can ask themselves. It was one of the most popular ones that I used in the workshops. One of the questions I asked them was, imagine that friendly aliens came to your family when you were growing up and plucked you out of your family. Just, just took you away to a very nice planet, but they chose to take you. What would happen in your family? Would they notice you were gone? Would mm. they fall apart? 
what would happen? And that gives you some clues as to what your emotional role is in your family. Mm. I had a lot of clients who said, if friendly aliens took me out of my family, my family would fall apart. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about mine. And yeah, I mean, I think there was like a lot of attention. I'm the baby of the family. So there was a lot of attention on me. And so I think that, yeah, everybody would just be a wreck. <laughs> yes, there was a lot of attachment to you. You were, a, 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 in some ways, a comfort. You know, babies often are, not always. Some babies are comfort zones, like you were the baby, but some babies are the mavericks. They're the ones that can speak up. They take a look at the family. They see everybody, all the other siblings and what they're doing, and something in them says, gosh, I don't want to be part of this family. This is crazy. I'm speaking up. I am speaking up. Okay. And they can become the rebels. So that's why I ask everyone, if you don't know how to understand your family role, begin with that question. Mm-hmm. If I were plucked away, what would happen? Who would cry? Who would get anxious? Who would feel lonely? Who would be angry? What would happen to my siblings? Who would feel unprotected? Who would feel happy I was gone? That is a great way to think about at least the beginning steps is learning about your family patterns. Totally. Really get to know yourself. That's the big theme that I've gotten out of this. And take a look at your past experiences and how they're influencing your choices today. I love intuition. And I'm so thrilled that you came back to talk about this topic, Dr. Wish. Thank you so much. Well, I am even more grateful that it appeals to you because think about it this way. Your intuitive judgment is going to get activated where you know it or not. And don't you want to be in charge of whether your intuition is accurate or not? Absolutely. Think think back on those men or women, whatever, who you had chemistry for, and it turned out to be wrong. Mm -hmm. And, And then you don't know why. And so... You know, none of us were hatched. So you have a past, and usually your past is the greatest source of information about who you are, what you need to do to change, and what you can do to get brave enough to kind of go through the anxiety of Mm. making those changes. Totally. And then maybe you'll visit the tarot card reader less. (laughs) Or read your horoscope. Or say, do self-lies like, if it's meant to be, then this guy is going to zoom into my life and it'll just happen. Well, no. Would you recognize it if it did happen? Maybe it's the guy who lives across the hall from you who you've never even made an effort to meet because he was, oh, a little overweight or not cute or bald or, or whatever, you know, or something, you know, something mm-hmm. that said, ah, I don't like this. Because remember, when a partner is good for you, chemistry takes time usually. Yes. And... If you've ever dated a pretty boy or know people who've dated, you know, really pretty women and they've come back and said, pretty is as pretty does, handsome is as handsome does, and boy, did that person become unattractive once I got to know them. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I've been through that. Yes, most of us have. That's maturity to be able to look past the physical attributes of somebody. And, you know, you want to find someone who over time... You can say this about yourself in the relationship, and this is a, a, another very important tip in addition to, you know, thinking about what your family role was if you were plucked away by aliens. Another good one to ask yourself is, do I like the me who is in this relationship? Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. Because if you're, if you are dialing yourself down in any way to make it work, it's ultimately going to fall apart. Yes. And just um, look at this current, um, the, the election that happened. I had couples come to see me, not because they were on different sides of the political spectrum, but because they were afraid to tell their partner. <laughs> I've, I mean, I've, I've had friendships fall apart as a result of these differing opinions. It's tough. And that's crazy. I mean, really? This is, you're going to base your whole relationship and, and get rid of your spouse or break up or not choose a friend because you're on different sides? I mean, golly, that's, that's sort of sad. That means you're not, open, you're not open to anything else. So I want you to think about if I said or did this in my relationship, then it would be over, whatever the issue is. So think about, do I like who I am in this relationship? Do I respect me? And then if you don't, more than likely you don't respect your partner. Yeah. I always think about it like, does this person make me want to be a better version of myself or, or put me in a position where I am being a better version of myself? Not that I'm trying or not that I'm masking my real self, but that I'm actually becoming better. Yes. What you want to envision is that your partner is walking around with one of those cheerleader pom-poms for you. <laughs> yes. Okay? Yes. Uh, that's support. Mutual support. Absolutely. Yes. And that you like who you are and you like your partner. If you don't like your partner, then it's unlikely that you're going to have healthy love for your partner. Totally. And with that, I think that's a good way to end things and get people started on their own journeys of honing their intuition. Make your lists, everybody, of your patterns. Do that work. Imagine the aliens. <laughs> I love all of these tips. Dr. Wish, it's so great to speak with you. And I love your passion for teaching others and sharing your wisdom. Well, I'm so glad. I'm grateful to be here. And I really love helping people with this because it can change your life. Absolutely. Everybody out there listening, don't forget, please go to lovevictory.com for more information about Dr. Leslie Beth Wish. Until next time. Have a great topic you'd like to hear discussed on an upcoming episode of Nothing Off Limits? Email us at ideas at ladyfoxentertainment.com. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate the show, and go to ladyfoxentertainment.com to sign up for our email list and to check out our resources page. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.